it's no longer okay to sort reviews using automated systems and asking only happy clients to leave a review. And what I mean by that is if you're using a survey and the client completes the survey in a positive manner and you ask them to leave a review, that's against Google's guidelines now. And it has been for a few years now, but yet there's still very common systems in the veterinary space that don't know that. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. FurPaws Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes. Email me at andrea at furpaws.us or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Welcome back, Positive Leadership listeners. We are so excited to have a super amazing guest today. Eric Garcia, welcome to the show. Eric Garcia in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So excited to be here. Eric Garcia is the co-founder of Simply Done Tech Solutions. He is the co-founder of Fidu and also the co-founder of Noodle U. Thank you, Eric, for coming onto the show. Without having to read your bio, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So the short story, if you will, is I actually started my veterinary career right out of high school. It was just meant to be a job to get me through college. My background's in information management, but I had the opportunity to work for a large 12-doctor practice in Florida. Absolutely loved it. But when it was time to leave the practice to move on and focus on my career, the owner of the practice was like, hey, no, we can we can use you. It was a practice that was pretty innovative, but they were behind the times of technology. And so I stuck around, moved into a management role, absolutely loved it. But again, then came time to move on. Eventually, though, I actually went to a veterinary exclusive marketing company that was not my own at the time, worked my way up to vice president, truly loved meeting more veterinary professionals outside of the practice that I worked at, and being able to deliver a message to them that resonated under understanding what it's like to work in a practice Eventually, we sold that company. And then in 2009, I started Simply Done Tech Solutions, where this is all I get to do is work exclusively with veterinary practices to help them better engage with digital and and to connect with clients effectively. Fantastic. Sounds like you've said that uh, line a few times. (laughs) You got it down. 
you, I'm sure, have gone through quite a bit of study and education background. I know you have a, a few digital marketing and other types of training that you've had. Mm-hmm. Can you pinpoint a favorite, like maybe book or podcast, a, a class or something that's left a lasting impact on you? Yeah. So I, I'm only laughing at myself because there, there's... You say, what were those chuckles for there? Yeah, share yeah. that, share that. I can hear so it. Interestingly enough, the books or, or the, there's one specific book I always come back to and I, and I geek out over it. And it is probably the less sexiest book I could ever recommend to anyone. And it really has nothing to do with how I advance my education when it comes to just digital strategy in general, because normally there are conferences and certain websites and things that I follow to stay up to date. But I think the book that kind of just changed my life in general is a book called The Sleep Revolution by Ariana Huffington. And my friends, anytime I talk about it, are like, that's your favorite book. It's this massive <laughs> book. Fest. <laughs> no, I'm well, kidding. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> Literally. It's a good thing. Um, it, and it's and it's really, if I, if I were to distill down what the book is about, and it's pretty lengthy, it's just, it's a book that scares the shit out of you about making sure that you get enough sleep every night. And it just talks about how it leads to Alzheimer's and how our politicians and how in our society we celebrate, you know, the lack of sleep that we have. And we're like, yeah, I worked two hours. This is what coffee, or I slept for two hours. This is what coffee's for. Life is good. And and we celebrate that and how really it's just a very dangerous thing. So I have a few friends of mine that know this about me. And when it's around eight o'clock or so, they'll send me a text message and they're like, we know you're probably sleeping. Bed, bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. right. But I, I really recommend it to anyone. It's just, it's, I, I know it sounds silly, but by getting enough sleep, I'm just an entirely different person in general. Although I will say I read this book way before COVID and then COVID happened and, and I lost my ability to sleep very well. So it's, I still uh, ebb and flow with it, but there's just some pretty, pretty neat things that I learned about just sleeping in general, which again, it's not sexy, but it's a book that I feel changed. It's necessary though. Great. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, right. It's so true. I mean, I, you know, also when I get less than eight, I'm so different than when I'm kind of actually an eight to 10 person. Nice. I know there's some work oh, around, you know, like sleeping too much, but mm. like I, I get between, I would say nine or 10, you know, even hours sometimes like doesn't drain me. I wake up, you know, super refreshed, but yeah, she's, she's actually, she does a lot of work on that area. And I remember that she's one of the big, like she's super driven and like an entrepreneur and all these things. But I remember she was the first one that I remember years ago talking about like no electronics in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading some article, you know, from her about like her best habits or something. And I thought, I, but this was like probably 10 years ago when you weren't thinking about it. And she was the fir- one of the first people to say, bl- what is a blue light and like, get it out of your bedroom and all that kind of stuff. So not, not surprising. She wrote a book about it. <laughs> My, um, um, my doctor told me, because uh, I used to have sleep issues before I read the book, but he said, he said, your bedroom should only be for sex and sleep. And I was like, <laughs> That's well, exactly what yeah. I tell people. I don't have yeah, a TV yeah. in my bedroom. I said, yeah. our bedroom is for sex and sleeping. That's it. There should be else in your bedroom. Your closet goes that. in your bathroom, you know, like yeah, two functions. Right. That's it. Right. That's so <laughs> funny. I love it. Oh my gosh. So Eric, you are known for and are just... And, you know, forgive us for, you know, fangirling over here, but you're just the guru of digital marketing and social media stuff. And I think, you know, you were one of the probably the first premier speakers to start talking about super sexy stuff like SEO, just I mean, (laughs) super sexy, but stuff like optimizing your website Mm -hmm. and driving traffic via 
via that. And, you know, it's funny because we're, again, you know, vet medicine's always, what, 20, 20-ish years behind everything else, e-commerce, mm. you know, Amazon was in the, you know, the early 2000s. And here we are just starting to talk about using yeah. your website to drive clients yeah. in, you know. <laughs> But this is like what you're known for. You're super skilled at it. And then on social media too, which I think, you know, they kind of go hand in hand, the whole, I don't call it the metaverse, but like, you know, the whole kind of digital universe. So how did you get into that as your niche? And what do you love about it? What makes that area so special for you? Yeah. So the way I got into it as a niche really started back when I did work in the practice and and I moved into that more managerial role and, and kind of just helped the practice move forward from a digital standpoint. And so really, when I was going to school at the time, digital marketing wasn't a full-blown degree at the time. I think it was just something that they were covering in some marketing classes. And I took an opportunity to take some of those. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is when, you know, we were still talking about things like MySpace and Facebook. And and to your point, David, you know, websites and SEO and things like that. And I really enjoyed learning about that and then trying some of that in the practice and just really had fun. But more importantly, seeing the impact that it had in terms of delivering important content to pet owners. And so then when I left the practice and I went and worked for this marketing firm that was still veterinary exclusive, it was really neat to be able to help more practices with this. And I think where my passion really lies at the end of the day is that by using digital effectively, whether it's Facebook, whether it's delivering personalized email reminders to pet owners or via push notification through an app or through text message or whatever it is, I think at the core of what we're doing when we're marketing, uh, the core of what we're doing when we're building relationships is that we're using this opportunity to educate pet owners or we should be using this opportunity to educate pet owners. Because at the end of the day, by delivering good quality educational content that engages, we are marketing. And to be able to fight some of that false information that exists out there through this medium and being able to see practices effectively do this, like it's really rewarding to know that at the end of the day, we're doing something good for the global veterinary community. But the more that I worked in this space, the more that I realized that this was more of a global challenge. There's an even bigger problem when it comes to the opportunity to educate in countries like, or continents like South America, or even uh, countries within Southeast Asia, because here we we do a lot on social media. We do a lot on our websites. We still have a ways to go, of course, but we do a lot when it comes to the realm of educating effectively, but they're not doing much over there. And so here, you know, we often think we have this, this large problem with pet owners bashing us online. And a lot of that has to do with just not being educated about properly caring for your pet and then also absence of value. But it's an even bigger problem over there because pet owners don't understand the very basics on on the importance of vaccinating. And by not vaccinating your pet and contracting diseases and not having the money to pay for them, it, it just demonizes the veterinarian at the end of the day when the pet owner can't afford care. So just being able to utilize these platforms as an opportunity to combat misinformation is just super cool and finding new ways at doing that and new approaches. And, and that I think is really cool. And within the digital spectrum, things are always changing. You know, it's I'm never saying the same thing for too long. But the one thing that I will always say is that opportunity that we have to educate when it comes to pet owners. And, and that's what fuels that passion within me, uh, continuing moving forward. 
And to follow up on that, Eric, I love that you take that approach from the continued education point of view. And I will say that I am a, like a CE whore. Like mm. I love myself some CE. I, I can't even tell you how many conferences I go to a year to just sit and absorb and learn. And I mean, I have a ton of credentials, so I'm constantly having to recertify something or other. So I need the CE. But you are the co-founder of Noodle U, and that is some amazing CE. You want to talk about some education right there. Like, let's talk about Noodle U. Yeah. How did so, that come about? <laughs> so so Noodle, before we actually knew it to be Noodle, and, and when I say we, uh, this is a collaboration between myself and Dr. Mary Gardner, who's one of the co-founders of Lap. Who's amazing. We yeah. love her, Miss Mary. <laughs> yes. And, you know, years ago, Mary and I had talked about this opportunity of tapping into, at the time, the vacation CE market. We just thought it would be really cool to build a conference that goes abroad and, you know, basically pay for a vacation and then also have fun with just a whole bunch of veterinary professionals that wanted to do the same thing. And then, you know, life happened and, and we didn't do anything with it. And then COVID was becoming a thing. This was April, the year that COVID started happening or, or that we started taking seriously, I should say. And I, I was just recovering from a, a major oral surgery and, and her and I got on the phone and we were just talking about how much it sucked that all of these conferences are canceling and that we're going to be grounded for a while. And so we decided to pivot. And so Mary and I, the reason we're the best of friends is because we, our personalities are so alike and we get along very, very easily and we agree a lot. And so she usually has this term that she says, you know, let's noodle on this, which is just, you know, let's think about it. Let's, let's keep it in the back of our mind. And so when we were thinking of, of trying to pivot to do something virtual, we said, okay, well, what are we going to name it? And she said, well, why don't we call it noodle? You know, like you're always noodling on something. And I was like, I love it. But in order for people to take it serious, we have to add a U to it. Some so education, noodle. right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and then, so we said, well, let's make our logo a noodle. And and it was, I, I got to tell the both That's of you, I, and we, we, we tell How much fun for the community, the veterinary community to jump on board with this conference and take us serious when our logo was a noodle. <laughs> yeah, right. That's a big testament to the two of you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's how it was born. And, and what we take pride in is it's a fully live conference. So it's not, mm -hmm. for, you know, it's not recorded. I mean, it is recorded for later viewing, but our mm -hmm. speakers engage, uh, engage with attendees. We try to find speakers that, you know, can deliver on a virtual medium and, and have the same energy level that they do in person. And so, you know, we, we've really had a lot of fun with that. And, and the, uh, the following that we built with, uh, within the veterinary community is just super, super cool. That's amazing. I mean, I think having a noodle as a logo and having a veterinary conference yep. around, yeah. you know, kind of centered on pasta really speaks to how freaking <laughs> crazy the last two years yeah. have been. And, yeah. right. you know, I mean, there's nothing that weird that doesn't make, you know, the people don't jump on these days. Not, not that noodles are weird, but, you know, sure. well, not exactly be. like pets you or something. So, right. oh my gosh. Well, yeah. with all of this, so you're an entrepreneur, you own, you know, your own business and probably, you know, are partnered in a couple others. You speak, you know, is intergalactically a word, like you speak ah, all over the world. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of energy there and a lot of time spent on on educating and, and you know, promoting. But you also do a very interesting practice where you detox and disconnect. I believe it's called your social media month off or that you might have a term for it. Tell us a little bit about that. A... Obviously, Ariana Huffington probably has influenced you a bit there, but why do you do it? 
how do you do it? Because I would imagine, you know, as a business owner, slash, you know, just a speaker in demand, I'm sure that there's emails that come in during that time, you know, where you, you know, people ask you for gigs, and you're, you know, you're doing your thing. So why do you do it? How do you do it? And what has it given you? Yeah, so I have to admit, when when I talk about things that are just so close to me, I don't, I'm not always as crystal clear with it. So I'm going to do my best to just kind of summarize why I do it and what got me to that point. But essentially, a few years ago, I, I remember, I, I think it was my first time going to Europe. And uh, this is maybe nine years ago ish. And so it, the trip was going from, you know, London to Amsterdam and ending in Paris or something like that. And so we it was me and a group of friends and we were getting ready to go see the Eiffel Tower in the evening time. And, and we were in the hotel lounge. And I said, well, let, let me just I'm just going to spend a few minutes just catching up and triaging on email and then we'll go. And I ended up checking my email. There was a little bit of a problem with something that was happening. And so it took me a little bit longer than 15 minutes. And, you know, about an hour, hour and a half later, I was finally like, okay, I'm done. I'll come back to this later on. And what, what I found out was that, you know, I, we, we went on, we went to go see the Eiffel Tower. It's beautiful. But in the very back of my mind, even though I was technically, quote unquote, done working, all of those thoughts of what I just did were circling around in my head. What was the reply going to be? What's the solution going to be? I was constantly thinking about it. And so the rest of the trip, I kind of always had this in the back of my mind. And I think we all have this relationship with work where we convince ourselves that, hey, when we're on vacation, we can check work. And then the minute we close our laptop or the minute we're done calling and checking in, we're done working. And so really you know, 15 minutes, an hour, whatever it might be is better than coming back to just a whole bunch of work. And what I found out was that I really wasn't able to truly be present on that trip. And I also found out that the longer I went on at doing this, because since the advent of technology, you know, there is no clocking out for real, because we can text our employees, because clients can text us or email or we have all of this access to communication. There really is no true clock in, clock out time. And so we've just, as a society, expected people to respond when, when there are messages. And I set this expectation that, you know, if I were gone and taking a vacation and I wasn't checking in, that my clients would be upset that I'm not there for them. And that's what they expect from us or that my employees would be upset that they wouldn't have a response to something that they were dealing with that they needed in that time. And so I really convinced myself that it was so important I needed to be there to be able to constantly check in. But what I found out is that continuing to do that, I just started becoming anxious. I'm not generally an anxious person. But I started becoming anxious. I started getting frustrated with the more emails that I got. I started getting annoyed with the more messages I got on social media. And that's just not me. And I recognize that about myself. And I remember I read this article from uh, someone at a fast company, uh, the publication. And this person uh, did a digital detox, but he did it for a day. And he shared his experience and how amazing it was for him to be able to uh, have good quality conversations with friends, to be able to get things done that he hadn't done, and to be able to experience life and, and sights and sounds and things that are normally dampened by the distraction that is technology. And I read that article and I was like, this is awesome. I want to do it for 10 days. And so I did. I, I set a So date. that's a big jump to go from one day mm -hmm. to 10 days. Like that's a big difference. It is, but I felt like if I truly wanted to challenge myself that I needed to try to do something that was more than just a day. In retrospect, what I will say is that that day and doing that every once in a while, that's more of a healthy long-term option than just 
spending, you know, once or twice a year doing a five day or 10 day or whatever it might be, what I call digital detox. And I love that term, by the way, fantastic digital detox. (laughs) Get it out of your system completely. That's exactly what it is. And so, yeah, so I did it. And, and all of the things that I was worried about, you know, clients being upset, just those things didn't, didn't really happen. One of the things that I did, and I always recommend anyone do, whether you're going to, you know, unplug for a day or, or unplug for an extended period of time is you just have to let people know in advance, right? You can't just fall off of the radar. Yeah, um, right. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to be out for a little bit. Right. And so I would put in my email signature normally at least a month or so leading up to that particular date to say, hey, during this time period, I'm going to be out and you won't be able to get a hold of me. And I have to tell the both of you, the really cool thing was clients, friends, people that I interact with on a frequent basis would respond back and they celebrated that. And they said, that's awesome. That's good for you. They would work around me. Mm -hmm. Not normally something I like, but they were like, I'm going to send you this thing so we can work on it before. Or they'll say, hey, I'm going to send you this, but I know this date is coming up. This is for when you get back. And it's so cool to see that. And respect the boundary. Exactly. And Andrew, to your point, that's exactly what it is. It's just setting those boundaries and not worrying about what people are going to think or how they're going to react to that. Because in my experience, they've always celebrated it. And I'll be honest with you, if I had someone, whether it was a client or a friend or a family member that didn't respect that, that looked at that and said, I expect you to be there. Is that someone I want to interact with in my life? Right. Yeah. Maybe time to reassess that. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, so I, you know, I I will go completely off the grid, which means no technology. The only kind of technology I'll use is I'm a music junkie. And so I'm I'm always I'll have some sort of device to listen to music on, but no technology. So do that- you have a house phone that like your mom can call you and be like, it's time for Sunday dinner, Eric? <laughs> so first off, uh, I don't know if you know, uh, but I do spend Sunday with my mom. Um, so not doesn't sure. everybody? I mean, come on, Sunday dinner at mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the beginning, I I would actually go somewhere, and to your point, yes, I would I would give my normally it is my mom. I would give her access to the phone number of where I'm going to be, and my phone would be completely powered off. What I have since done is because you know back in the early days of iPhones, you couldn't do this, but now what I do is I have my phone on, but it's on do not disturb, and only calls from my favorites will come through. So it's it's normally just. During this, yeah, time. you got it screened at least exactly. there. Yeah, right. Like I could just imagine like this old school phone with like a rotary <laughs> dial and a cord hanging from it. You're like, hey, mom, I'm <laughs> running late. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So thankfully, it's not that. But yeah, so you know, reality is, is we do live in a world where things happen, and, and you need to know about it. And so there is a way to right, get it. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, it's it's just no technology at all, and 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 the results are amazing. I mean, I just I sleep better. I feel recharged. I take mm-hmm. it as an opportunity to to read. Most of the time, this is where I do a lot of learning about mm-hmm. what I am lecturing on or where I've become yeah, inspired. Taking the time, yeah. So I'd like to switch gears with you, Eric, and talk a little bit about your expertise in digital marketing mm. and specifically to something that I feel is been at the forefront of what our managers are dealing with during this kind of COVID crisis the last, you know, couple of years. 
And that is negative reviews. They mm. have gone off the deep end. I mean, people have lost their shit. Yeah. Crazy. I have fired crazy. more clients yeah. in since COVID and responded to more negative reviews online. I mean, mm. they have unrealistic expectations. And yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. it, it's insane. And they create so how, like emotional trauma in our teams too. Mm. Yeah. Some PTSD, right? Yeah. yeah. How do we handle this? Like, how are we going through and responding to these negative reviews? Yeah. So there, there's a lot to say here, but I'll, I'll try to summarize it too. Yeah. Cause we only have an hour. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I could, and I will talk about this forever. Yeah. So, so just a few things. I, I think when we talk about just the last two years, it's really important to understand that tensions are at an all time high for everyone. That includes the veterinary team to the pet owner. And so what's happening right now is we kind of have this perfect recipe for disaster work because tensions are high for everyone that everyone's losing their cool. Pet owners are going online. They're being more hateful than they probably have been in the past. And veterinary teams are more aggressive toward that or are taking it more personal than they have before. And so I think it's really important to recognize that it's a two-way street. And I think it's really important to proactively mention that I never condone any behavior from a client who's just being a complete asshole, who's attacking people personally, and who's just being absolutely unreasonably aggressive. I don't ever condone that behavior. But what I will say is that we do have to take a step back and realize that empathy still plays a role in how we bridge the gap when it comes to these situations. And that that is that we have to put ourselves in that client's shoes to be able to understand where they're coming from, to be able to try to resolve that situation. You have to think about a lot of the reviews that pet owners are leaving online and a lot of their emotion is because they're grieving. There's something traumatic that has happened to their pet or they're not able to afford care for a pet because there's something going on or they're worried about their pet becoming more ill or they might lose their pet or whatever the situation is. And so this pet owner is going through this process. And so a lot of times what happens is they go online and they just yell at people. And so what I always tell practices is it's important that when that happens, that we sit back and that we don't respond within at least 72 hours. The reason for that is, is if you respond at a situation that you're emotionally invested in as a veterinary practice within a short period of time, especially right when the reviews left, you're less likely to resolve that situation because that client's still going through that emotional process. You know, when was the last time you yelled at your partner or significant other or friend or whatever, and the next morning you slept on it and you felt entirely different and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I was just upset in the moment. And we all do. And so we need to let the client kind of go through that, leave it alone for 24, 48 hours. But eventually we do have to come back to it and handle it offline, talk over the phone. I don't ever recommend your first line of response responding on that review because we're not going to let our authenticity and how we feel come across in a short word. So handle it offline, come back, make sure that you're level headed, empathize. If you are going to respond, apologize about their experience, whether you agree with it or not. Again, you have to show empathy. Apologizing for their experience isn't saying that they're right. It's saying that you understand why they feel the way they feel. And so it gives you that opportunity to go ahead and try to do whatever you need to do to fix that situation. And I never recommend responding back and being defensive or defending your medicine. A lot of times if we do that, and this has been a huge issue in the last few months, when we respond back to negative reviews, we're divulging information that technically, according to most state boards, should be kept confidential. 
So the state of Texas, and I believe it's also North Carolina, have had cases where pet owners have been reporting veterinarians to the state board because of how much information they're divulging in their reply. In the human world, there are lawyers who will sue to be able to do that. And of course, we're not held to the same HIPAA standards, but you can be reported to your state board and it has happened. So it is important that you respond back and, and you just you have more general responses. I, I can email the both of you a, a little document that I created on how to respond to most reviews. And if you want oh, that'd to be great. Show yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll send that to you. But the one thing, and I'll say this, David, to your point as well, is it sucks for the team. And so it's important that you always celebrate your successes with your team. So anytime you get a new positive review or a good survey result, print it out, put it in a communal area. There's a happiness expert by the name of Sean Acord. And what he says is with one of his large hospital clients or something, they have this happiness box, or I forget what exactly they call it, but essentially in this box is just all positive things that people are saying about that practice, their standard of care, about communication, customer service. And so if someone's having a bad day and they're feeling beat up by a client, they're sent to the happiness box and they have to sit there <laughs> for five to 10 right. minutes. And, and it's like, you know, go, go kiss a puppy, right? Go right, play with a right, right. Fight, fight. Go refresh your soul. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it's yeah. just so our mind doesn't focus on it. Look, it's human nature to get 99 positive reviews and get one negative one and focus right. more on Focus one. on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if it's the only thing you see, then you're not really giving yourself a chance. And so right. it's just right. a whole mental shift. Mm. Yeah. I always kind of wonder, and I'm still pondering exactly what we find so, I guess, threatening is the word about about a review. You know, it's it's written, right? It's text. And as much articles are there or social media people who say, you know, forget the trolls, you know, they're just trolls, da, 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 da. It's still, it still stings, right? And so I try to think about it. And for me, I think of two things. One is, you know, it's almost like this, this little kid that, that tried to do good, you know, thought he did well. And, you know, that person just had a horrible experience, nah, 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 you know, and it just kind of hits me there. But on the other side, I, and this is, could be a story, but I want your take on this as an expert. I get worried about the reputation hit. And I know that it's metrics. I know that it's, you know, stars on Yelp or, or stars on Google or, you know, possible new pet owners scrolling through. I know that there's a, there's an algorithm that you're up against and there's sorting and you can, you know, request reviews get m- removed and all kinds of stuff. But I really worry that, your new clients are also going to see that and they're going to, you know, they're going to see, you know, if they, if they click on Yelp, and I'm not an expert on the Yelp algorithm, but like if they don't do some sorting and they just scroll through and they see, let's call it, you know, one five star and then one, one star and then a couple of three stars, but your overall ranking, let's say is four stars, whatever it is that, you know, that one star is truly going to like have a negative ROI. Like it's really going to hurt. So, and if it does, like, let's be brutally honest here, be blunt with us, does it really affect and should we be doing everything we can, like literally everything we can to offset that and, you know, obviously always try to deliver great customer service and client experience and, you know, use tools, right? Like CM client tools to to try to get, you know, reviews out to them that are internal, like an NPS before they go to uh, social media. There's a lot of, you know, Pet Desk and Vitus and all these other ones that do that. And then should we try to talk to Google and Yelp about trying to get those reviews down? Or is it truly a game of just like, you know, have a canned response, celebrate the wins, do your best every day. And if you have, let's call it three and a half to four stars, you're okay. Like what's the kind of real scoop on how badly those reviews can affect your reputation and how important reputation is these days? 
Yeah, the latter of what you just mentioned is 100% true. I think a lot of times we put more of an emphasis on the negative reviews and how we think people are going to look at that and ultimately come up with this opinion about our practice. And as long as you are a practice that has a 4.0 or higher ranking on average, I'm not at all worried. I'm not worried if you had a pet owner that went on there and said you absolutely murdered their pet. And the reason, David, I'm not worried about that is because I have seen some absolutely gut-wrenching, true cyberbullying instances, things that you would expect a veterinary practice to never be able to recover from that just a few months later have fully recovered from, continue to grow and exceed where they were at in terms of new patients and, and new clients from previous years. And so it, a lot of times we look at that and we assume that no one's going to come to our practice because of this. Now, I will say if the overwhelming number of reviews are negative, then yes, we do have a problem. If you're looking at a less than 4.0 practice, and this is where most of the time, general practice 4.0 higher is what I expect. If I see a general practitioner that's below that, then there is very likely something that's happened. Either they've been attacked by numerous people, which we have a practice in Canada right now where they have like 10 people that are just that left them a whole bunch of one star reviews. Only one of them is the actual client. The other ones are friends. Right. If we take those outliers into effect, then, then there's probably something going on within the service offering that the practice needs to look at. Now, for an emergency practice, it's actually very common to see a less than four star rating. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that when pet owners tend to seek emergency care, they're not prepared for that financial investment that's necessary. And so ultimately, they have this this, you know, process that they're going through where they don't have the money. They're upset. They're looking to put blame on someone else except themselves. And so they do go online and, and they will say negative things. But this is why it's, it is important to have a system in place where we identify who those client, happy clients are and we encourage them to leave good reviews online. And something I will say that a lot of practices don't actually know about that's against Google's guidelines is it's no longer okay to sort reviews using automated systems and asking only happy clients to leave a review. And what I mean by that is if you're using a survey and the client completes the survey in a positive manner and you ask them to leave a review, that's against Google's guidelines now. And it has been for a few years now, but yet there's still very common systems in the veterinary space that don't know that. And yes, so there is. Yeah. So, um, so it is important to recognize. And I look, I used to be an advocate for those systems because it worked and I used to always train practices on how to do it. And we built them for, for clients. And then, you know, and then Google came out and said that. But what you can do and what's not against Google's guidelines is to think about who those happy clients are, the ones who are very jubilant when they come in and ask them to leave a review and send them a follow-up email with a link of where to leave the review. And if you send 10 and you get one positive review, that's success. That's one more positive review that you have under your belt. But I can tell you, no matter how bad a specific review is, unequivocally, you will continue to thrive as long as it's not a majority of what people are seeing. And Eric, that is music to my ears because every time a practice owner gets a review, one of my clients and they email me and they're like, can you answer this? Oh my gosh, like life is going to end as we know it because mm -hmm. someone gave us a one star or three star or whatever it is. And I'm like, simmer down. You're like at 4.8. <laughs> you know, like to me, that's a magic number because if I look at a pra practice or a business, even that's all 5.0, I'm going to be like, yeah, so mm -hmm. <laughs> this is totally fake, right? Yeah. Or you're brand new and only your mom has rated you yet, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> What, like, come yeah. on, right? Yeah. So that is music to my ears to hear you say that, you know, life is not going to end if we get a one star or a three star. 
And it's okay that, you know, you murdered my cat review comes up there. And oftentimes when people read that review, they're going to be like, oh, I hear the crazy coming through, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so thank you so much. You know, say it again for the people in the back kind of thing. I, <laughs> rewind, press play. I love to hear you say that it's okay. Life will not end because of a bad review. So... We always, as we kind of start to wind down and get towards the last kind of parts of our of our podcast, we always like to ask our guests what their takes on what we're missing in vet med in kind of your specialty. So, you know, in your broad expertise in, in you know, whatever you want to call it, social media, marketing, digital marketing, you know, whatever, whatever the, the specialty is, what do you think is kind of the elephant in the room? Like the biggest thing we're missing or where are we missing the boat in vet med and what should practices do about that? Yeah. So there, there's two things. I'll talk about one because it's probably extremely timely considering what's happened in the last few years. Um, the first thing is retention. Retention marketing uh, specifically. So veterinary practices, we know a lot of the data has shown have grown exponentially over the last two years. And we didn't expect this growth to happen, but it did. And it's there and we're busier than ever. And we're seeing more revenue. We're seeing more patients. We're seeing uh, more clients that are coming in. And so what's happening is we are looking at this and we're saying, hey, everything's okay. You know, we we don't really need to do much with our practice right now because we're, we're doing really well when really quite truly that's not the case. Now is more of the time now than ever to focus on retention marketing. So what systems do we have in place to ensure that those clients are going to continue to come back into that practice? Because a lot of times we think that what keeps a pet owner coming back is the level of service that we provide. And that is very true, right? If I have, if I come in and I have a horrible experience, I'm not going to come back in. But the service that you provide is just one piece of that puzzle. The next piece of the puzzle and what we're missing is, well, how are we delivering reminder messages in ways that are engaging, right? So there was a study that came out in 2011 from JADMA that says one of the reasons that pet owners don't continue to come back into the veterinary practice is because of the lack of understanding for the need of routine care and examination. And so are our reminder messages, are they educating clients? So when I get a reminder, I don't just see DHLPP and have no idea what that means or see Bordetella, I have no idea what that means, but that I can actually click on that and learn more about the prevalency of this disease, why it's important to go ahead and vaccinate against this, and more importantly, a message that's going to get me to schedule that appointment. And there are numerous studies that are out there that prove regardless of age, people want access to good information. And so if we're not proactively providing that using these systems that we have, then we're not gonna get those clients to come back in. And the other thing that goes with that is, are we reaching out to our clients the appropriate number of times to get them to come back in? There was a study that was conducted a few years ago of over 2,000 veterinary practices, and it was it was able to prove that if we send between 9 and 12 touch points to a client when their pet's due for an annual service, that we will yield high compliance. And if you think about that, it sounds like a lot, like, oh, we're going we're gonna to annoy our clients if we reach out to them 9 to 10 times. But understand that the people who are going to get closer to nine to 12 touch points are the people who continue to not act on your message. So if I get a, an email or a text or a push notification and I schedule that appointment, then I might only be getting one or two touch points. I'm not going to get the rest because I've scheduled that appointment. But if I don't continue to come in, the more touch points yield better results. It's what makes online pharmacies successful. One of the major online pharmacies who I shall not name sends four emails a week to our pet owners with uh, 95%, including promotion. 95% click rate, open rate, you said? Wow. 95 
and yet we're worried about sending an extra email to remind them. <laughs> right. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, right, right. They're going to hate us if we send them one more email. Oh, right. Yeah, and, and like I say this with peace and love, I actually appreciate that we've taken more of a conservative approach with that because I would much rather see that than practices overly embrace the technology and send too many text messages or too many emails or too many push notifications yeah. so they can do it. So I, I'm, I'm okay seeing that. But if you want high retention, you have to have the systems that both educate, but that are reaching out the appropriate number of times to be able to meet our client expectations. And then the other thing I'll say is just everyone's marketing now, which is awesome. Everyone's got a website. Everyone's got social media. But oh, the, not everybody. Not you say everybody. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> everybody you work with, but I guarantee yeah. you, right. if you Google veterinary clinic in some some very remote town yeah. in California, they ain't got no website. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, true, there's a true. landing page, and that's it. Oh my gosh, it's <laughs> coming lot, soon, yeah. and it's got that yes, little guy right. digging from 2001. I'm thinking, <laughs> but like you know, Andrea and I work with. I mean, you do too. Work with a lot of practices, but I sure. we do we do a lot of. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it eye rolling of like, you don't, you don't have, you, like I just the other day was connecting with a practice that still hand writes vaccine reminder sure. cards. Oh and my gosh. them with stamps. I was Ooh. like, wow. Yes. So anyway, I'm ju- just teasing yeah. and just to put it in perspective, we, it sure. is a bell curve. <laughs> yeah. hey, it's opportunity though. Imagine, you know, Oh, yeah. if, they're, if they're doing okay yeah, without right like, right much? oh are you kidding i mean when yeah when you talk about value creation oh yeah 100 <laughs> percent. yeah what's their click rate on their postcards <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> zero right. anything right. is better than yeah no anyway just teasing but i, I yeah no, no good points good points yeah so it's just it's you know coming up with a more personalized message so i want to see more personalized pictures more personalized content that tells me who you are and gets to the soul of who you are and, and not the generic or state of the art practice nonsense. So it's, it's important to start personalizing those messages if we yeah. want to really differentiate ourselves Makes in the marketplace. Yeah. yeah. So, so as we kind of round out this part, I wanted to just piggyback on what you, uh, you know, awesome stuff you just gave us. So what we try to do on the podcast is like distill it down to one or two action things. You know, we record these on Fridays and we release them on Wednesdays. So when our, when our listeners are listening on a Wednesday, you know, they get inspiration and hopefully, you know, Thursday morning, they can do one or two things. And I'm such a big fan of like the 1% rule or the, you know, how do you need to eat an elephant one bite at a time type of thing. So, you know, the answer probably isn't go sign a four or five month contract with one of these app companies, right? But what are like one or two things that a practice could literally do tomorrow morning that would just take them in, in one step of the, I don't say the right direction because that's judgy, but like the sure. digital direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I just got to take a second to applaud you two for having this segment because I think practices are in a place now where they, they, they get it. They just want to know how. Yeah, and give they me the tools. Give me the quick and dirty. How, yeah. Where's the, the five minute manual? You know, something yeah. that I can just do like tomorrow when I get to the office or I'm driving on the way in. Like, what's one thing that I can do like the second I walk in the door? Yeah, absolutely. So, so for me, and this kind of goes back to this retention and personalized marketing piece, very easy things that you can do. One is to look in your reminder system. So whatever system you're using, if it's Ally DVM, if it's Pet Health Network Pro, if it's Demand Force, if it's uh, any of the other app companies that deliver communication, whoever you use to deliver your communications for your reminders, what I want you to do is look at your annual reminders and see, do you have between nine and 12 touch points? Now, a touch point is anytime you send out a communication. So if you sent out, if you send a text 30 days before that pet owner's due, that's one touch point. If you send a postcard 
you know, 15 days, that's a second touch point. And so ultimately what you want within that annual health reminder campaign is you want up to nine to 12 touch points. And it's very easy for you to go in there and see where the opportunities exist. The one quick little tip is most practices will do communication within 30 days. So normally they'll do 30 days before, 30 days past through, 60 days past through, 90 days. That's an old school method of thinking. What you wanna do is you wanna now break it down to 15 day increments. The reason for that is, is old school methodology would say the longer we wait, the longer we give them the opportunity to act on the message. New school thinking says at a certain point, they're just not going to really respond to that message. So waiting longer just delays the inevitable. So it is important to then send that uh, communication out within 14 to 15 day intervals. So very easy thing a practice can do. And then the other thing is, is I challenge you to go through your website. But before you do that, I want you as a team, as a, as a managerial team, as a marketing person, whatever your role in a practice is, I want you to list 10 things that you do really, really well at your practice. Those things that you feel make you different than the practice down the street. And I want you to take that list of 10 things and I want you to go to your website and are you communicating those 10 things that you feel make you unique? And I can tell you both that in most instances, practices are not communicating those things. And so what it does is it leaves the opportunity for you to go back and work with your whoever manages your website to go back to that company and say, hey, here are 10 things that make us special. It's not evident on our website. Can we work together to, uh, to do this? It's not just what you're reading, but it's also what you're seeing. So if you say you're compassionate, are there images that show compassion that show more importantly who you are? Yeah, Think right. very easy things that you can do. Back it up. Yeah. Show some proof in the pudding there, huh? Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because, Andrea, doesn't it remind you of what Melissa talked about when we were talking about recruiting, that you also need to have your uniques on your job ads yes. and how you present yes. yourself? It just like ties it all together. Yes. But noodle I, you, right? Like yeah, there's got to yeah, be like, you, talk, yeah, you use you, the word exactly. noodle. And so that's what you're going to, you know, use your logo. Exactly. Like, I mean, pull it's, a piece of who you are in there and, and brand yourself a little bit. Right. And a little, right. a little transparency, authenticity. Right. Yeah. yeah. With so many. Oh, right. Uh, David, it, it is a recruiting tactic. A lot of this, a lot of what we do to make ourselves unique in the pet owner's eyes also works from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah, very parallel. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Eric, if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, mm. if you could get your younger self to listen, right? <laughs> what would be that one piece of advice? Share with our listeners something that you would say this is super important. Yeah, so I always go back to what I normally end a lot of my lectures on, and it was advice that I still live and breathe today, and it's advice I always pass on that one of my mentors instilled in me, and that is success is the biggest deterrent to getting better. That That is to say that if you were to take this on a personal level, that you could say to yourself, I have a nice car, I have a nice house, I have a great relationship, and that when you, when you look at success and when you say, I'm there, you become complacent and complacency is the killer of growth. And, and again, if you apply that personally and, and think about just you know, being in a relationship with someone, for example, when you get too complacent, then you stop trying new things and, and that relationship fails to flourish the way that it once did. And so it's a challenge myself on a personal level to believe that, but also on a business level to say that I can look at my calendar and I can say, oh, I'm busy here, or I've got all these things going on, or I've, I've got this average rating when I speak, or our clients are happy, or we have this number of, of clients. That is to say that I should never say that I've arrived, I am here, I am successful, and stop doing things to grow. And so when you're looking at a practice, 
and you look at your key performance indicators and you say, I'm happy with my number of new clients. I'm happy with my revenue. I'm happy with how happy clients are with us. If you say everything's good, I don't need to make change, then that is what's going to kill the growth of your practice moving forward. It is the killer of all innovation. And so it's it's just to remind yourself that if you want to continue to remain successful, that you have to remember what made you successful to begin with. And then is that you always step out of your box to try new things and that you continued to grow whatever it was that you're doing, whether it was personally or for your business. And so it's something that I always, always keep in the back of my mind with everything that I do. I love that complacency is the killer of change. Is that what it, say, say it again, complacency was the killer of change? Innovation, yeah, so, which is a form of change. I love that, yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, and so here's my favorite part of the show, Eric. Are you ready? I want to hear about a time where you were working with a practice owner or maybe a practice manager, a staff, a team member, maybe somebody not even in veterinary medicine, where you just had this moment where like, palm hit the forehead, like eyes popped out like bugs. And you said, no freaking way. You can't make this shit up. Like, tell me your story. Yeah. So it's a story that always sticks out to me. And and it's admittedly not an easy story to tell, but it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with angry clients online. There's a a practice, I'll, I'll never forget it, in a, in a rural part of I won't even mention the state to, to keep their identity. Uh, right, but protect the, change the name, protect the innocent, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, right. In a state, a very, a very rule. I mean, like, think of the most ruleless part of the U.S. of a certain state. Like, this is where they were at. And it's that kind of community that everyone knows everyone. And and this veterinarian uh, reached out to us and, and literally had signed an agreement one week before I was, uh, actually, no, I was getting ready to unplug. Like they signed the agreement on Friday and I was going to unplug later that afternoon. And it was the only time in my you know nine years of unplugging that an employee ever actually reached out to me to uh, ask for advice about a situation that they weren't quite comfortable handling. And so, so I did, I plugged back in and what happened was this when I worked in a practice, it was small animals. So this is all new to me. And I learned this when this happened a few years ago, but there's a veterinarian that did a dehorning procedure on goats. And apparently I've learned that you do this because goats have a tendency of getting their horns stuck in the mesh wire and then they strangle themselves. And so they do this to, for the you know health of the goat, whatever. And so, uh, so he, he was doing this uh, procedure and he's done them numerous times, but there was a client who wanted to actually see it being done. And if you think about a typical veterinary practice, especially in a even semi-urban area, that's just not the norm, right? You're not going to sit and watch your pet being spayed or neutered or having any type of exploratory surgery. It's not even anything that most people would even think of being okay. But when you talk to rural veterinarians, think about... Dr. Pohl. I was just going to (laughs) say... Think about the doctor pole where those people are watching. And it's very true, as I understand from talking to even veterinarians who are farm animal or equine. And uh, so this person wanted to watch. And and if, you, if you've never seen this procedure being done, as I understand, it could be uncomfortable to watch. And so, so this owner had six goats that was going through this procedure. And I think by the third goat, she became uncomfortable. And so she, so she snatched the goat from him mid-procedure and left. And the veterinarian was absolutely mortified because, as you can imagine, there's post-op care that's necessary. There's medications that need to go home, things like that, and instructions on how to keep the, the area clean. 
And uh, she actually thought the veterinarian was was torturing her goats. And so she went on social media and she just blasted them. It was a few days later and one of her goats did become ill because again, there was no proper cleaning of wounds. So it became infected and, and it was just nasty. So she shared a picture of one of her goats that appeared to be dead. And, and it was, you know, had a pussy area where, the, where they were doing the procedure and, and she just lambasted the practice. And what happened was, this is a rural community of just a few thousand people. Uh, by the time I was called in to look at it, the post had gotten easily over 100,000 views. And what was happening is people were coming up to the employees in the supermarket, in various stores, and they would say, because everyone knows everyone, and they would say, what happened? What's your side of the story? How dare this veterinarian do that? And the employees were like, they didn't know what to say. Right. That's got to be, especially like approaching with a grocery store, like after work, that's, whew. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And people were canceling appointments. People were just flat out not wanting to have any surgeries, any annual vaccinations done. I mean, if you were to look at the scheduler, it went from full to empty for months on end because of this instance. And I, and I think the part that really sticks, sticks out to me is not so much that than it was then it was the conversation with the veterinarian. So I, I called the, I called the vet and he had a satellite location and he was practicing by himself. And, and, and so I, you know, I kind of asked her his side of the story and, you know, start, start getting some information and, and he just stops mid conversation and he starts bawling and he says, am I going to be okay? And, and I told him, I said, absolutely. Wow. I yeah. said, yeah. Or, but it, you're, you're going to be okay. And, and he kept on asking that question 30 at least times, not, not even exaggerating. There, the conversation was just full of sobbing and silence. And I kept on telling him, I said, I know how bad this seems, but you're going to be okay. And this is around a time where we started really talking about suicide in the profession. And I think it was the only time in my entire career that I was worried for someone's life, that I didn't know what to do. I, I knew how to handle that that situation, but I didn't know how to handle him. You know, yeah, I didn't. Right, I, we're not prepared I, for those things. Yeah, no. we're not equipped. And, um, and the first thing I did was uh, after I got off the phone, is you know, I called his wife. Um, I talked to their. They have a business consultant they work with, and I told her what's happening. I was like, you know, and she said, you need to call his wife. I called his wife. She was not there she was taking her kids to a baseball game and i said mm-hmm. he can't be on the floor right now and he certainly shouldn't be by himself yeah wow and yeah. you know luckily she was she was able to you know find a relief that got him off the floor and but he dealt with this emotional distress for a long time and and you have to think about this the the, the preface of the situation is that the reason he engaged it with us is because he just spent hundreds of thousand dollars renovating his practice and he needed new clients to fill in. And then you have this happen. Yeah. Devastating. That burden. It was, it was tough. It was hard, oh, but yeah. yeah, I got to tell you, and this goes back to what we were saying earlier. And I, and I mean it when I say it, no matter how bad something may seem, especially this is, this is, believe it or not, this is not the actual worst thing I've seen online for a practice, but it's pretty up there. But I mean it when I say that no matter how bad the situation is, 
you will flourish at the end of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And make it through. Yeah. You never forget uh, that. And it was just a scary thing. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's hard to tell because just that moment was just for me to keep my shit together as I'm talking. Oh, for talking. sure. Mm-hmm. You're not you're a right. therapist, you know, I mean, you're, yeah, yeah. We're you're not an empathetic human all, being, but right? you're not trained for that. Yeah. Absolutely not. Thank you for sharing that with us and with the listeners. You know, some of them have probably been through some of this crap too. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully it wasn't kind of that scary and dramatic, but you know, I mean, just the other day and I saw one where some woman left, you killed my effing dog, screw you. Yeah. And it was like an emergency practice. You know, that didn't happen. You know what I mean? But it's just horrible. And and I get what you were saying in the beginning too, that obviously that person is really hurting and the, the social media is there, is there, um, you know, outlet, but, but yeah, it, it, it is scary, you know, and especially when it's your business and gosh, in a small town, it could even be his life, right? People could have threatened yeah. him and, you know, so wow. Thanks, Eric. My gosh, we, <laughs> we didn't expect to get, you know, that, that tough, but we appreciate sure. you you sharing that. Yeah. Of course. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So as we start to wrap up the show, we have a section that we call the rapid fire. And this is where we ask you about seven or eight kind of hard hitting questions. So tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. You're gonna hate this response. I, I just have to forewarn you, and and I and I genuinely and authentically believe this to my core. I this is a hard question for me to answer anytime someone asks because I can't think of a situation, and it's not to say that I haven't had failure. I'm sure I have, but I I can't. I don't have a situation, and I and I think the reason for that is is because I have conditioned myself at some point, God knows when, in my life to look at failure in a completely different way. And, and to, you know, I've, I've had times in my life where I, I guess I've been challenged, but I've never looked at it as failure because whatever the situation was that I can't even recall, I look at that and I learned something so valuable from it. And, and that's, all, that's always a hard question for me. Tell me about your proudest moment. Yeah. So I would say, so one of my mentors, his name's Eddie Garcia. He shares the same last name as me. And before a lot of speakers and people that we all know now, including yourselves, have been out there lecturing to veterinary audiences. My mentor used to lecture at veterinary conferences on practice management with that, his generation. And, and he's been such a positive role model in my life. I attribute who I am today because of him. And so I had the opportunity about two or three years ago to lecture with him at VMX. And I felt proud because I finally got to show him how I was able to apply everything that he taught me through our mentorship sessions and teach other people uh, the same. And so to, to be with him, to show him everything that I've learned and how I apply it was just probably one of the coolest parts of my career. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? Yeah, so I've had opportunities to work in other professions. I've had friends that are like, oh, you should come work with lawyers and doctors and things like that. And I never had a good answer to this before. I used to just always say the profession's full of good people, which I still believe. 
but I believe they're they're authentically good people at their core. And I think the one differentiating factor is that generally speaking, when we compare veterinary medicine to other professions, there isn't an ego about what veterinarians do. And they have this eagerness to learn what they don't know. And I just love that because the role that I get to play is to help them continue to build more successful practices. And the fact that they're open to learning is just a really cool exchange. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? Yeah, we talked about it earlier, unplug, taking those digital detoxes. But not just that, something I I started doing in January of this year and, and still do every night which I actually kind of like a lot, is I've, I have all my apps on my phone turn off at 7 p.m. except iMessage. So all my apps like email and social media and all that just turns off. Of course, I can override it, but I don't. And so now I feel that time just reading and spending time with my pets. And it's just, it's been a nice thing. How do you balance uh, work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I balance work and life by, again, uh, you know, uh, unplugging and prioritizing me time and, and away time and also finding hobbies. I used to never have hobbies. So now I like I bought a drone a few months ago. And I'd spend, you know, at least two to three times a week flying that. I don't feel guilt and I don't feel guilt because people really respect that about me and they respect my time. And so because of that, I, I don't feel like I don't feel guilty about it. I, I feel kind of happy about it, actually. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in your business? Honestly, nothing on a daily basis. I think when it does happen now, it's, it's, I'm a, my personality profile across Myers-Briggs and, and all of these personality tests is that peacekeeper. So when I do stress, it's because I know I'm going to be facing a situation where either there's a client that's upset or maybe I'm about to make upset because of something or I'm going to have to tell an employee to do something differently that they may not like. And so it's normally that knowing that I'm going to have to have some form of confrontation, which I try to avoid at all costs. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Oh, coffee, of course. I wake up. I'm so excited to drink my three cups of coffee. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And and a fresh start. I I truly, truly believe that every new day is is a, a complete fresh start. So and I'm generally one of those weird people that when I wake up, I'm like, super excited. I'm like, yay, fresh start. Unless again, there's a lingering problem, like I talked about earlier, then I don't feel the same way. Awesome. Oh my gosh, Eric. Thank, thank you so you. much. That was this great. Was amazing. To have it's you on. Super appreciate yeah. you coming on today. Gosh, and you bared your soul to us and, and the whole thing. So we really, really appreciate your time and have a great uh, rest of your weekend. Eric, do you want to give some shout outs to your social media handles and where we can find you? Yeah, really, it's anywhere on social media using the handle uh, at Eric. Uh, It's Eric with a C, uh, Eric Garcia FL. So anywhere online, you can find me there. And listen, I just want to uh, give a huge shout out to both of you for for building this, this medium to be able to push out, you know, good content from a variety of people in the industry, including both of your perspectives. I think the way that we move our profession forward is through podcasts like this. And so I applaud the both of you. And it's been a true honor to be a part of this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Be well, and we'll talk soon. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. 
Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.